Let's start with a somewhat rhetorical question. What are you looking for? What are you expecting? And how do you know that you found it? Well, any sensible person would recognize the signs. Signs indicate that something is of a certain sort. This is why many trying to communicate with the beyond are, bless their hearts, ridiculously ignorant. Grandma, if you're here, give us a sign. Knock, knock, flickering candle. She's here. Hey, Granny. Well, are you sure? Because unless Grandma is phobic of doorbells, or it's her birthday, then knocking and flickering candles is no clear indication, no sure sign of anything other than the presence of, well, a presence. In order to be certain that the dear dead granny is communicating with you, you need to really know her, and so be able to recognize the types of signs that would be specifically, reasonably indicative that she is indeed who is communicating with you. This is also the question of why you want to talk to her at all. But we'll leave that off for a little bit. Moving on slightly. Back in John chapter 6, the people at the Sea of Galilee saw a sign indicating that Jesus was indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. Well, that's oddly specific. Which prophet, exactly? There have been lots already. And they all just kind of showed up. Which prophet was prophesied show up eventually? Answer? One like Moses. See Exodus 18. And this is when we're going to flip over to the legal pad. So, how is Jesus like Moses? Well, he fed them. He gave them bread. The whole manna situation. And Jesus, by the way, points out that it wasn't actually Moses who gave the people of Israel the manna in the desert, but that's okay. Alright, so from this, the people see the sign that he is the prophet, like Moses, you know, Moses rained down manna, shh, it's okay. Moses rained down manna, Jesus gives us bread and a little bit of fishy fish. So what are we going to do? Well, naturally, we're going to make him king. Hmm. What exactly do they want or expect from their new Moses? Well, let's look at the old Moses. Liberation and provision. Set me free, they say, and meet or facilitate or at least don't get in the way of my lifely needs. You know, I'm in slavery, people be whipping me, you know, hitting me with pyro sticks, gotta make a lot of bricks, it's hot, can't feed myself, no water. Just, but can I just, can I just have a melon, please? Would you, would you stop hitting me? A little bit of sunscreen, possibly some mud. That's all I want. Just some mud. It's hot. So, what do they want from Moses? Liberation and provision. Like I said, set me free and meet my needs. Or make it possible for me to meet my needs. Or don't get in the way of me meeting my needs. So, the king is to nourish your life, eh? Alright, here's bread for that. Going back to John, people are willing to follow Jesus so long as he heals and feeds the body. And in a way that makes them go, whoa, on top of it. And Jesus calls this out, he's like, you believe because you ate and had your fill, or you're following me because you ate and had your fill. Well, when you eat and have your fill, then what? Well, eventually you get sick of it. And what once was a blessing becomes cursed, and the king becomes an unworthy tyrant.
and people just start saying, life would only be better if... Yes, you're not wrong. Life would be better if you ate the other bread. Wait, what other bread? You know, the one that came down from heaven? <laughs> what other bread? All that came down is this mangy manna. You know, the spiritual bread. Huh? The stuff that feeds your spirit? Huh? That which nourishes your ability to perceive and desire and decide and act? Huh? Yeah. Spirit. Numa. That needs to be fed too. When chatting with Satan in the wilderness, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy and said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And here's why. Consider this. A jackass is a jackass, whether he is rich or poor. An insecure bully remains so, no matter the power or security or position or station that he has. A selfish turd is a selfish turd, regardless of how much or how little liberty he has to do as he pleases. The bread on the mountainside satisfied the appetite. I can't read my own writing. It satisfied some sort of an appetite. And a valid one. There it is. You know, hunger. But it did nothing to affect the quality of the person regarding those who ate it. The man who hated someone that morning remained just as spiteful when the sun went down that evening, even though he had eaten the magic bread from the little boy's lunch. So, spiritual bread. Bread that feeds the spirit, the pneuma. The, uh, the human capacity to, there it is, perceive, desire, decide, and act. Yes, those are in a certain order. What's that bread? The Ten Commandments, you know, that came down from heaven, that were delivered by the hand of Moses. What else does God give continually from Moses? Well, yeah, his word, his counsel, his command, starting at Sinai and continuing, like the cloud and the pillar, all through the wilderness, wandering. So, Jesus is a prophet like Moses, and... If you go to where this prophet is prophesied to come, this prophet is to speak the words that God has commanded him to speak. And to refuse to listen to this prophet, well, you forfeit your life. So in other words, if you don't eat the bread that it gives you, then you die as a result. Simple enough. No food, no life. But, you know, people and bread, this is where you're going to need to go back to Exodus and Deuteronomy and numbers for a little bit of this backstory. So familiarity breeds contempt. First, it's give us something more substantial or sweeter or more succulent. Because, you know, there's real nourishment. At one point, the people of Israel are like, ugh, all I have is this man to look at. And long from melon, some garlic, some fish, I don't know. Eat a papyrus reed because it's got a little texture. And, you know, God obliged. He gave them quail, meat, and the people gorged. And it killed them. Cause of death? Stupidity and intemperance. And bread bread, normal bread, can't fix either of those two things. Second, 
after that would come, we're starving, we have no food. Except that they actually still have the manna. What do you mean you have no food? Manna comes down every morning. Enough sufficient for the day. Twice as much on Saturdays. Yes, but this manna's worthless, they say. Key word, worthless. Oh boy. Them's fighting words. Take cover, y'all. Stuff's about to get real. And you can see it now. The revolutionary leader proudly staring down the governor. The teenager defiantly staring down the parents. It's so quiet, even the crickets are taking cover. And so what's just happened? You know, when the people of Israel say that the bread that God provides is worthless. Well, back to the actual episode of this in Numbers 21, the people of Israel have made a qualitative statement. The manna itself is worthless. It was nourishing and satisfying, and now is of no value as food at all. Therefore, something must have changed or deteriorated in the manna, which the Israelites recognized. But it hasn't. The nature of the manna has stayed the same the whole time. So why would the people reject it? Why go so far as to say that it's worthless? Because it's not what they want. It's not what they crave. It's not, in their own minds, anywhere near satisfactory for the tasks they have and the type of life that they wish to lead. Pause. I can't read my own writing, y'all. Ah, there it is. <laughs> the ton of bricks is about to smack you right in the face. Back to John 6, Jesus says that the work of God is to believe or trust him whom God has sent. The people around Jesus ask what sign he would do so that they could see and so have good cause to believe or trust him. Well, that's ironic, because Jesus has already done the sign, the sign that they recognized and therefore identified him as the prophet like Moses who was supposed to come. And here's the thing about signs. They're always indicative of something akin to reality, but abstract. Intangible, but yet still very real. Signs are proof texts. Moses and the snaky staff... Well, that shows that God is the God of life and death. Jesus and the roof guy? Well, that shows that God is a God who can heal so that you can function and thrive. The manna in the desert? God provides the food you need to live a healthy life. God has given his word from heaven and provides the daily manna of his mercies, which help us to live in accordance with that word from heaven. A really healthy life requires a healthy spirit. And so, the question then becomes, of this bread, which bread you want to eat? And the life you want for yourself determines that. At one point, for the Israelites in the desert, the answer was a hard no. So God sent serpents. Now, roll with me on this. Here in Numbers 21 is where, I think... The correlation between manna and commandment, so bread, bread, and spiritual bread, is most obvious. The people are rejecting, not as insufficient, but as absolutely of no value, the basic provision of life from God, you know, the manna. Uh, 
And in so doing, they declare that God has nothing to offer them which is worth anything. Either he should give them something else which they determine to be of benefit, or they walk. So why punish them with serpents? Because the issue is about spiritual food, not physical. Serpents are crafty, shrewd, convincing. They offer people contorted semi-truths which allow them to think in a certain way, believe certain things, and so live in such a way which they think fully healthy and fully happy. Serpents soothe the itching in people's ears with sweet-sounding hisses and cool, wet tongues. And because the issue is about spiritual life, then the consequences is about spiritual death. Remember what a spirit, or a pneuma, is. Again, that faculty of perceiving, desiring, deciding, and then acting. A corrupted spirit produces an unhealthy life, and is that internal source of corruption which Jesus identifies in Matthew 15. And how were those given over to serpents healed? Well, by beholding the very wisdom of God. Now, this is only a hypothesis, but I think a helpful one. If the snakes biting the Israelites are all the other systems, philosophies, worldviews, beliefs, doctrines, whatever, which people would accept for living life, then the bronze or copper serpent on the pole is the, so to speak, craftiness, shrewdness, word, and wisdom of God. And anyone bitten by one of those other serpents, recognizing the poison, the irreversible mortality of it, should look upon, behold, willingly turn to, recognize, and give regard to the word of God, and he will be saved. Likewise, Jesus says that it is the will of his Father that, quote, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. In other words, the crucifixion, the very word and intention of God put up on the cross for all to see and for those who understand to behold and be healed. And here's where the ball is in your court. Consider Jesus' rhetoric here. And it starts with a point, and then gives later the punchline. So, middle of John 6. We need to turn some pages here for a bit, y'all. Ah, there we go. John 6, 35-40. So, here's the given. Everything, without exception, which God gives to Jesus will come to his possession, and he will not cast it out. Well, why? Because Jesus doesn't have the prerogative to do so. So, since it's not his to do with as he pleases, with whatever the Father gives him, he will neither reject it, nor destroy it. Interesting. The Greek word for lose, which is what we often see in the English scriptures, is actually a word that means to destroy or to bring to ruin. He won't get rid of it. He won't smash it. Okay, so what is it that God will give to Jesus, which Jesus is bound to safeguard, keep, protect, and restore? Answer, anyone who looks upon the bronze serpent, which is the crucified Son of God. This point 
could be belabored in so many dead metaphors, words, and phrases. But, go back to the beginning in John 6. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. What did Moses bring? Liberation. Liberation to worship God. That's all the way back in Exodus when Moses is talking to Pharaoh. Let my people go so that they may go into the wilderness to worship God. And then God feeds the life of this adoration, this worship, with the bread of his word. This will then produce a healthy and flourishing life in the core of what a man is. Do you recognize this? Do you want it? Are you following Jesus for any other reason? Community, acceptance, help with emotional and self-esteem problems, respectability. Well... He'll give you these, of course. But then call you out for only seeking your fill. Ready to reject him when you don't get it, like an addict who's denied a fix. Or, even worse, still say you're his, but live by a completely different gospel. That would actually be breaking the commandment about taking the Lord's name in vain. Just saying. Feasting upon and abiding by the word of God is the only reason to follow Jesus. Do this, and we have seen how God the Father will respond. Don't do this, and, well, your choice. And you know it.